Welcome to Biomarkers, an audio series that archives the oral history of organic geochemistry. I'm your host, Fatima Hussein, and I'm here today with my series co-creators and fellow organic geochemists, Angel Maharo and Juliana Drozd. Today's episode concludes our two-parter with Dr. Catherine Freeman. So I'm Kate Freeman, and I am an organic geochemist and an isotope geochemist and a faculty member in the Department of Geosciences at Penn State University. In part two, we cover Kate's insight into writing, running a lab, and what drives the most exciting research in the field today. During our conversation, we learned that Kate's mother earned her PhD in English, and we wondered, how did that influence Kate in her own writing? So her interest in in the written word and the narratives, uh, I think, has definitely very much a part of my worldview and my something I enjoy. And and so I began um, teaching a writing course here at Penn State for graduate students about 10 years ago now to maybe even a little bit more. And um, I continue to work on it and and really, I mean, you know, informed by her, she often sends me materials for it. Um, it, it took me a couple of years to actually show her my syllabus. I was, you know, you know, had a, a pretty strong imposter syndrome because she has a PhD in English. I do not. <laughs> um, but once uh, I, w- I had that courage and she's been really helpful. So for sure, uh, that inspired by her love of language and the importance of narratives and in, in all we do. And, and the recognition that I, I think part of my own success comes from um, my writing ability uh, and to be clear in what I'm trying to say to people. And then people, people can understand you, then they can have a better chance, Doesn't, it's not guaranteed, but there's a better chance they'll be excited about your ideas. So I, I, I call my course Words to Live By because we make a living with our writing, even though we also do it with our science. And for those of us who may be interested in the course and what it entails, we asked Kate to briefly walk us through it. Well, it, it starts out as a course. Uh, the first part of the course is uh, writing to um, figuring out who your audience is. And when you start out as a, a student, uh, particularly in the U.S., you you have an obliged reader. Your your professor or your instructor is going to read your assignment. You can be almost assured of that because they have to give you a grade. Once you step out of the classroom environment and you're writing professionally, your reader is not obliged. They can put it down, right? They <laughs> no one says they have to read your papers. In fact, sometimes it's hard to get your co-authors to read your papers. <laughs> We've all been there, um, and so that 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 pivot from thinking about your reader as obliged to one that's not obliged is a really powerful mind change or shift. And once you understand that, then you begin to think about what does my audience need? My, what does my reader need from me to really understand what I want to tell them? And, and so that is one of the main thrusts of the course is we're thinking about how we can meet the needs and expectations of our reader, whoever they might be. Well, I think um, so the, some of the simplest advice is to think about your reader as another grad student who isn't, and we often tend to write to the most knowledgeable person we can imagine out of fear that they might be your reviewer number two, right? But actually for our papers to be effective, we wanna reach some future grad student who picks up that paper and then is inspired to build on your work. That's, That's the beauty of science is that our published work informs the next generation or the next step in the process of, of inquiry. Um, so if you just imba- imagine your reader is a grad student, and so explain things to that person. They're an educated, intelligent person, but they may not be an expert in what you're talking about. You get that down, you'll be fine. <laughs> then 
We asked Kate to tell us how she gained the skills to run a lab. Oh, well, you just make it up as you go along. My goodness, that's really all there is to it. But I, I had good support and I had excellent training as a graduate student working with John, and in particular with John's senior technician, Steve Studley, who taught me all the nuts and bolts of sort of taking care of mass spectrometers and um, GC systems. And, and then when I was a postdoc with Stuart Wakeham, I learned a lot of the nuts and bolts of running a wet lab and extraction methods and, and kind of technology and techniques associated with that that I brought with me. So I was a sponge <laughs> as a young person, right? Trying to learn as much as I could to bring that into the lab. Um, but I, I wasn't given a lot of startup money. As I said, I had a mass spectrometer and a job for my husband, but not much else. So um, one of the things that was really um, memorable is that I had a limited amount of glassware. Glassware is quite expensive. And I had a student who um, was cleaning the glassware in an ashing oven um, and it was Pyrex, but somebody else had used it and left it on the quartz setting. So it was way too hot and it melted all of my glassware into, you know, one blob. <laughs> I just thought, oh, this, this is not good. <laughs> so, you know, but with each project, with each grant, um, with each opportunity, we, we built up. And so now we have quite a, quite a fine facility at Penn State I'm very proud of. Um, I kept that melted piece of glassware on my windowsill for many years um, as just a reminder of being humble and that we all make mistakes and that, you know, remember where you came from. <laughs> Following that, we wondered whether Kate is up to any lab work herself these days. I have found that it really, I, I need to go into the lab just for my own, you know, well, mental well-being. And so I, I, even though I don't really do a lot of work in the lab anymore directly with my own hands, I, I, I enjoy so much going in and seeing what people are doing. And so I try to stop by um, with some predictability <laughs> so, so that people are aware that I will be coming in and see what people are doing and just help troubleshoot and just enjoy um, talking to them about what they're doing. Um, before the pandemic, I uh, would kind of purposefully keep my tea kettle in the lab so that I would, you know, and I drink a lot of tea. And so I would make sure I would kind of trips through at least our, our wet lab. And back in that time, the labs were in two different buildings. So at least the prep lab, I could go in and have some predictability and people could kind of hang out and know I'd be coming or hide if they don't want to talk to me or whatever the, the inclination is for the individual. And so, yeah, so walking through the lab almost every day just to make sure I'm present and available to people as they're doing their good work. We also spoke with Kate about exciting directions she sees in the field today. I will tell you that right now we're, um, we have some funding from NASA and I'm very excited about new capabilities for making measurements of not of, of isotopes, not only of the whole molecule, but at particular positions within a molecule and the position specific uh, isotope measurements or isotopologs as it's sometimes called uh, is a really frontier area. And we, we now have some equipment at Penn State to do those kinds of measurements and we're just really at the very early stages of trying to learn how to do it from uh, colleagues who are a little bit ahead of us at, at uh, Caltech and some of the folks at Thermo who are, who are helping to develop um, the, the instrumentation and, and the, the kind of algorithms and software behind it. And then that has applications for a variety of uh, directions. I'm personally always interested in how we can get new information about from molecules about Earth and its history and its life. Um, so just building the toolbox of things that organic geochemists can use to answer interesting questions about Earth and life um, and its history. 
but uh, it, it also has a lot of implications for biosignatures and under, and sort of learning the history of molecules off from beyond Earth. And so that's, uh, of course, where NASA is very interested, and that's um, pretty pretty exciting and 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 kind of makes me wag my tail. <laughs> and to end, we talked to Kate about the future of our discipline. In my own personal experience, having been on the cutting edge of a new technology as a student, I, I learned very quickly that what distinguishes you is not your tool, but the question. And so new questions will always drive the science and new curiosities will always drive the science. And so, you know, keep being curious, I guess is my answer to that. Um, another area that I think is very exciting is through, um, well, internationally, there, we're really in the beginnings of a, a golden age of solar system exploration with sample return and mass spectrometers and other analytical tools going out into planetary bodies throughout the solar system. And, and so there's a, an analytical opportunity and an observational opportunity that's you know, really not for my generation, it's for your generation. It's, it's very exciting. Thanks so much for joining us today, and a sincere thank you to Dr. Kate Freeman for speaking with us and for sharing her insights. And now, for a special message. Hello, I'm David Nafs, talking to you from the Organic Geochemistry Unit at the University of Bristol in the UK. If you are enjoying the Biomarker podcast and would like to stay up to date with all of our upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Next time, we'll speak with Dr. Cindy Lee, a professor emeritus at the Stony Brook School of Marine and Atmospheric Sciences. To tune in, go to summons.mit.edu backslash biomarkers podcast. Biomarkers is produced in the Summons Lab at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology.